Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today we have the very last episode of the podcast with Tom Bainbridge. I apologize that these start and end in the weirdest of places, but I feel like it was really important to separate the three of them because the first one was its own book in itself and these other two I really want you guys to listen to, to take home and to really get a lot out of it. And I might be getting Tom Bainbridge on the podcast a lot more regularly because we have so many different things that we would love to discuss from literature, from experiences with clients and all the things in between. So if you have any questions for me, shoot them. If you want to say anything onto the podcast, I think you can comment on Spotify. I'm not so sure about iTunes. But give this a rating and share it around because we want to bring you the best free information without the ads. Your training, like everything that you do has a particular component that leads you up to where you are now. And I want you to talk about that a little bit more as well in terms of this is exactly where your habits come in. Before you try to optimize shit or even see a need for optimizing shit, what is it that is your weak link? What are the habits that you keep falling to that keep you Oh, I'm not disciplined enough. Like, what are the habits that you need to fortify to keep going? I want you to use this as a driving point to take home. Because I think this is more, this is the important shit that makes the pants like irrelevant. Because when you focus on this stuff and you have all your habits in the process aligned, your body is going to change. Your mindset is going to change because you are focusing on shit that grows you, things that pull you to the person you want to become, the life you want to live. You're going to be chasing strength, better function, things are just going to feel better, that the pants don't even become a part of the equation anymore because everything just feels better. So fuck the pants. Let's really ride this point home to tie this with the bow of wankery. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So there's a few there's a few threads we need to tie off now. So the other reason that I think people don't want to strip weight off other than the ego thing is because they feel it's going to make them weaker. And I feel like the problem with that is it counterintuitively just leaves you in a weaker spot anyway. You are not going to get weaker by stripping weight off and improving your technique and then building it back up. You might end up lifting less weight, but that's not the same as being weaker. Um, and so this is where we need to look at nailing the basics before seeking to optimize to keep just running with the squat as a basic example before you start looking at optimal loading parameters before you start looking at wave periodization before you look at all of that how stable are you in the bottom position similarly with nutrition before you look at perfectly timing your intermittent fasting, before you look at delaying your coffee intake before you look at making sure that you're eating only certain forms of carbohydrate like is your diet calorie adequate? Are you eating at regular times? Do you snack all the time or are you eating balanced meals? How many fruits and vegetables are you eating? Um, we sometimes need to step back and look at these basics, not because the basics are easy, not even because the basics are important to get right before you stack on more complex stuff, but because usually once you've got the basics nailed, that is all you need. Now, if you look at biohacking and a lot of the general wellness wankery 
Um, it kind of falls into three broad categories. Whenever you listen to a person who talks about like ways to optimize your health and ways to optimize your life, the first branch is just basic health recommendations. So you listen to a lot of these people and they'll talk about get to bed on time, try to manage your stress quite well, eat primarily whole foods, develop strong, stable social connections, practice some amount of self, some amount of time improving yourself by regularly exercising and read a book sometimes, like these kind of things. Very, very, very basic advice that you would get from anybody else. But the problem I have with biohackers is they use that as like a Trojan horse to sneak in a bunch of abject bollocks that they are going to then charge you for on this. And I think the reason is because they assume that you're probably not going to do that stuff. Most of us don't sleep well as we should. Most of us have diets that aren't as, as balanced as they could be. Most of us will miss training sessions. And to some degree or other, that will um, jive with some of you more than others. So my training, extremely consistent. My nutrition, pretty good. Um, I'm currently transitioning to being to eating a vegan diet. Um, and that transition I've found quite difficult. So I'm eating a lot more like high processed stuff at the minute than I would like to while I'm getting a handle on it. It's better than it was a month ago. When I was eating more animal-based foods, it was fully whole foods based and I'm, I'm getting there anyway. But it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. My sleep is a topic for another day. <laughs> I work too often, I don't sleep as long as I should do. Now, because of that, I can sometimes feel like my energy isn't where it should be. And if I'm the type of person who places a lot of value on things like optimizing my health with these methods that make me more interesting, I can see how that can lead me to being tempted towards doing some of the other biohacky wellness wankery stuff. And the other two branches of wellness wankery are stuff that's based on mechanistic data. So you've got like the ice bath creates a massive boost of dopamine. When I talk about mechanistic stuff, something that I talk to my clients about all the time is that mechanisms are cheap. It's not difficult to look at something and say, this increases cortisol. This alters the expression of this gene. This affects your microbiome. And the question is, well, I don't give a shit about my dopamine. I don't give a shit about my microbiome. I give a shit about the effect that those things have on my health, well-being, and day-to-day -day life. So... If I do something and it changes my microbiome, my question is, okay, but how does that influence my well-being? Like, does this does this change matter? Like, if I have an increased diversity in my microbiome, is that actually going to improve my cardiovascular health? Is that going to reduce my chances of developing sickness and diarrhea? Is this going to affect my risk of developing IBS symptoms? Or are we literally just talking that you found a study that increases microbiome diversity and I'm just going to take that as a benefit? Same as the dopamine thing. Ice baths radically improves dopamine. Right? It's like people are just wanting to worry about things for the sake of worrying about things without realizing why the hell are you even wanting to know about that? Like, what is the point? Like, you're just... Yeah. Like people don't want to focus on the shit that's actually keeping them stuck so they can focus on other things. And if I think about, I'm already talking about my gut enough as it is so people can kind of grab onto the fact I had a gut issue. But it's like, I want to know what's going on so I can take a freaking pill for it so I don't have to make the changes that I 
probably would need to make because, but I still had to make the changes I needed to make. Otherwise, I would have kept feeding the issue that was going on in my gut. So I still had to do both. It's just like, to what extreme do I really want to do this thing? Because mm. if I make it too extreme, then it's going to take away from my quality of life. But this is the same thing with anything else. Like people are looking for the thing that's going to be less painful. But in the long run, if you're not going to sort the foundational habits, you're going to keep feeding that issue. If I kept eating the same things that I was eating, I don't want to talk about it on a podcast because people are going to go diagnosing themselves with bullshit. But if I kept eating the same things that I was eating, I would not have gotten rid of the issue because I would have kept feeding it regardless of how much I'm inoculating it. And this is what pisses me off about people trying to get friggin' Here's another wellness wankery. People trying to get like Dutch tests and all this bloody other buffoonery. It's like, why do you want to get that? Like, are you going to get it to say, oh, I have these issues or are you going to actually work actively to fix it? Because we already know you're stressed out. We already know you don't sleep well at night. We already know that half your diet is processed food. We already know that you're someone that isn't consistent with exercise. Why do you need a test to tell you what's mm -hmm. wrong? when we know the very things that we need to do to fix whatever could be wrong anyway. 100%. It's the same as when um, back, I don't I don't see this conversation as much now, though this might just be the bubble that I'm in. Um, but back in the day, it was really common for people to post a picture of themselves on a forum and be like, can you estimate my body fat percentage? And it's like, well, why? Like, is the number that I give you going to influence the actions that you're going to take? Or do you just want a number? So it's exactly the same. Like, you're going to send off a stool sample in the you're going to shit in a pot and send that in the post and that's going to get analyzed and that's going to come back to you and now you're going to improve your diet in the way that you probably could have improved your diet if you just thought about the fact that you never eat vegetables now you're going to sleep better now you're going to reduce your alcohol intake like what just make those you don't need to do the test um, and that's before we talk about, and I haven't listened to your full episodes with um, Dr. Fondara, but I would imagine she probably delved into this a bit. Um, it's not that obvious that we can say right now what a healthy microbiome looks like. You can get two people who are of perfect health and their microbiome is completely different. Um, there's no, like, it's, it's not the case that, so if you look at blood sugar, there is a healthy range of blood sugar to be in. That's fairly well established. If your baseline blood sugar, if your fasting glucose is higher than whatever the healthy range is, I want to say it's like 110, but I could be wrong. I might have made that number up. But yeah, if your blood glucose is out of this range, that is bad. We can't do that with a microbiome. You can't send off a shit sample and they come back and go, oh, your lactobacillus is this. It should be this. Therefore, we need to do this to bring your lactobacillus up. We can't do that. The data do not exist to be able to do that. Um, it is the case that if you've got like a significant dysbiosis, then that can be diagnosed and be like, right, that's a problem. But if you're like a relatively healthy person and you're just seeking to optimize, the knowledge does not exist within the scientific arena to actually make those prescriptive recommendations. We have to talk in very, very broad, people who do this have to talk in very, very broad terms. Um, I want to also so, add another thing when it comes to like recovery and stuff like that, because this is something that Luke mentioned as well with people like these things, these things that people freaking live and die by, like stop using the numbers, stop checking your sleep data, stop checking your recovery data and start listening to your friggin' self because you can have a bloody amazing sleep, check this stupid thing and it says, oh, you had a shit sleep, your training's gonna suck and then you're gonna have a shitty session. 
or you could have had a really shit sleep and then this says that you slept fine and it's just like no i didn't bitch but this is something like luke says as well luke lehman my mentor it's just like okay so this hrv is a really great hrv but it might be shit for someone else you need to track trends to figure out what is right or mm. where you function at your best like my heart rate for example my resting heart rate is friggin' like wait let's see it's 35 right now like, like that is my normal if my resting heart rate was at 50 i could feel that difference like i feel the difference when my resting heart rate is at 50 i don't feel fit i can't recover between sets at the gym that is not optimal for me whereas someone that has a resting heart rate of 70 getting down to 50 would be a very damn good thing for them it's a really good example because my resting heart rate is at about 50 <laughs> so like like that is my normal that that's all i think the lowest it's been when i was running regularly was like 47 like it, it's never really dropped a great deal below 50 that's that's normal for me and that feels good if it creeps up towards like 60 odd it's because i'm not sleeping enough and drinking too much caffeine and i know that's a problem i don't need my watch to tell me that i'm sleeping five hours a night and drinking twice as much caffeine as normal um the so just to, to, to close off the Dutch test and then I'll move on to the recovery thing. Um, oh, yes. the, other, the, <laughs> the other issue with stool samples is it biases the... Oh, it's um, a urine sample. That's a urine sample. Oh, sorry. What's the Dutch test for? I'm, I'm confusing it with something it's else. The, Was it test? That's the stool test. The, um, the Dutch test is where they do dry urine and get hormones and all that kind of shit from uh, it. I, I've heard of that before. I, but the stool sample thing anyway. Um, that biases the analysis towards um, like lower colon microbiome. It's not a full microbiome. If you wanted to take a full microbiome analysis, you would need to take you would need to take samples from different areas of the colon, and you can't do that with a pot that you shit in. Um, so the it's questionable as to how useful that data is anyway. So don't do them. So on to the the recovery thing, right? Um. I'm currently on a bit of a tirade and I'm, I've done some reels and posts and stuff about it. People need to worry so much less about recovery, man. They need to think about their recovery like fourth or fifth in line of priorities. And the reason I say that is because the purpose of training is to create a stimulus. That stimulus is then acted upon the body given sufficient nutrients and time. Well, resources and, say, and time, we'll say. Um, so the stimulus comes from the training then that time and those resources that can be considered like recovery stuff. Um, and the problem that I tend to find when I look at people who come to me with existing programs is that they are not training hard enough. And that's the big one. Most people, and I don't mean this in like a, you're not trying hard enough because that's not the same thing. I believe you're trying really hard. But what you're trying really hard at isn't producing that training stimulus. You're not training with sufficient intensity with a sufficiently regular schedule. So what I tend to find is that people who feel like they need to focus on recovery a lot train really often. And what happens is when you train really often, you develop fatigue. Each If fatigue from Monday's session leaches into Tuesday's session, leaches into Wednesday's session, and before you know it, you're training at 70%. Now you're trying really hard, but you're not training hard you're and training the solution more intensity with more frequency and volume which is not yeah. going to get the adaptations that you want out of the stimulus absolutely not and the solution to that is not to improve your recovery 
it's to improve your training. So if you are training with this sufficient intensity to force an adaptation, which is going to be relevant to everybody, like if you've been training for six months, you don't have to train as hard as a person who's been training for 10 years. That's just how it is. Um, but if you're training with a sufficient intensity, um, that will make you feel like you need to take days off. If you're training seven days a week, unless it's incredibly well programmed, you're extremely fit, et cetera, et cetera. There are people who can do that, but general members of the population, if you're not squatting 300 kilos or running five minute miles, this is you <laughs> for the most part, right? You don't need to be training seven days a week. And if you are, you're training seven days a week because you're able to, and you're able to because your training is of insufficient intensity to necessitate rest days. Now, when people are training hard enough to necessitate rest days, they will rest. During those rest days, you are now accounting for that time component. Now, when it comes to the resource component of recovery, the majority of this is going to be a calorie adequate diet, a protein adequate diet, and enough sleep. If you've kind of got those three things down, and then of course we can look at smaller things like the micronutrients, which you mentioned are extremely important for recovery. Stress management, extremely important for recovery. That falls into the, the time component. But yeah, if you're training hard enough, you're sleeping enough and you're eating enough, even without those things, even without sleeping optimally, even with some day-to-day -day stress, and even without necessarily doing everything that would be optimal, you're still going to make progress. And if you add in special recovery supplements, if you add in special recovery protocols with massage guns and cupping and sports massage and stuff, it's questionable how much that's actually going to benefit you if you are not training hard enough in the first place. And I would argue once again, most people don't train hard enough. If you want to test this, Put yourself on a machine that you would regularly use, leg press, chest press, whatever, and put on a weight that you would usually use for like eight to 10 reps with one or two reps in reserve and do as many reps as you can. And most people will get at least like 15. It's as simple as that. <laughs> not me. I fail on the very last, I train to, I fail on the no, very last. No, not most people. Are, yeah. I know, I know, but that, like, <laughs> this is the point, like, you can't want someone's body or someone's results without looking into how they do things, their habits, the ways they do things, because, like, when I train, my last rep is literally me failing technically. I don't muscularly fail. I technically fail. As soon as my technique starts to drop off, unless I'm on a machine, then I literally train to mm -hmm. failure then that is when I stop my set. That is like, that is why I only need those four sessions right now. And the funny thing is, is that I used to always need to get massage. For me, cupping's my thing. Cupping makes everything better. Like there, everyone has their own thing, but I find cupping the most relaxing thing in the world, way better than massages. Massages don't relax me the same way. So I get a better recovery impact from cupping. It's like, it's a personal thing. Whatever relaxes you more. But I don't find the need for any of that shit right now because I'm not training the same way I did when I was powerlifting. It's mm. it's like like if I'm I'm recovering through sleeping enough, through eating adequately. If I was in a deficit, I would probably need to get those massages and some other things to help me recover. But right now, I'm providing enough. Like you said, I'm training hard enough. I'm recovering to match that. And I don't have that accumulated fatigue because I'm not trying to make up for my lack of intensity with more fitness winkery. Yeah, and 
like as you say, uh, if you're a competitive powerlifter, it's likely that you might benefit from a sports massage every now and then or whatever. But most people aren't that. Most people in the gym are there for health and well-being purposes or to do like something that approximates bodybuilding, but not bodybuilding. They just want to build some muscle so they look good in a t-shirt and shorts, which is fine. That is a grand goal. Good. Um, however, that doesn't require the recovery protocols of an Olympic athlete. Like you don't need to be going into cryotherapy. You're not going to benefit massively from utilizing all of these techniques, which are expensive and are sold to you as being the thick, the lack of this thing is what is holding you back from results. Usually the lack of, usually the thing that is lacking from holding you back from results is an extra couple of reps every set. And if you can get that, you'll, you'll progress without spending additional money. I guess this kind of feeds into that whole why MPS isn't all you need to build muscle. Like you need to force change. Mm, so, right. So muscle protein synthesis is, it's half of muscle remodeling. So you've got muscle protein breakdown where your body takes proteins that your body has, breaks them down for the amino acids so they can be used for other stuff, whether that is to put onto a protein elsewhere or whether it's used for energy or whether it's used to create carbohydrates, whatever. Your body breaks proteins down. And then mus muscle protein synthesis is where it takes amino acids from the blood, either because you've eaten something or because they've been broken from other proteins, and it puts them into muscle. So it's muscle protein breakdown is taking bricks off a wall. Muscle protein synthesis is putting bricks on a wall. Wonderful. Um, now, when you eat protein, that stimulates muscle protein synthesis. In between meals, muscle protein breakdown is elevated, um, primarily when amino acids leave the blood. The purpose of training to build muscle is to increase the ceiling of muscle protein breakdown and to reduce muscle, sorry, to increase the ceiling of muscle protein synthesis and to reduce the amount of muscle protein breakdown that you experience. That is the purpose of training. And so if you're training hard, what you're doing is you're, me you're making it the case that when you eat additional protein, your body has an increased ceiling of muscle protein synthesis. It can do more muscle protein synthesis. So the example I usually give is to give arbitrary units. During a normal day, you might break down three units of protein and build up three units of protein and you maintain muscle. This is the experience of most adults throughout their adult life, unless they do something weird, like have a very sedentary lifestyle. When you start training, all that happens is you're still breaking down two and a half to three units of protein, but now you're building maybe 3.1 units of protein a day. And so you're just gradually increasing that ceiling of muscle protein synthesis. And provided you can continue to provide that stimulus to increase the ceiling and then enough protein, which stimulates the process and provides the substrate for utilization, then you will eventually build muscle over time. People get way too hung up on doing stuff that like eliminates muscle protein breakdown. So people will try to um, like the slow release proteins or you train in this way because this eliminates muscle protein break. Don't pay attention to any of that. Just and train hard. in a deficit. Yeah, just train hard. That creates this increased ceiling and then eat adequate protein and your body will kind of take care of the rest. Um, to, to loop back into just wellness wankery in general, and I do think this is kind of an important part of the conversation. Um, but the the grounding assumption of a lot of what wellness wankery is built upon is that your body is fragile that it's very easy to break 
that problems happen all the time and you need to have this almost are you familiar with the red queen problem no no so the in uh, the second Alice in Wonderland book, so uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass, um, she has a meeting with the, re with the Red Queen on this giant chessboard, and they're running faster and faster and faster, and the, the world is moving away from them at the same pace. And she says something along the lines of, that's the thing, um, or that's the thing here, we have to run faster and faster just to stay in the same place. Red Queen problem. Um, that's been used to describe loads of stuff like evolution of prey animals. So as prey animals get faster the faster predators catch them and that means that over time there's this arm race where prey animals and predator animals get faster and faster to keep up with each other um people seem to have this view of the body where like it's a red queen problem you have to keep doing more and more and more and more shit to prevent your body just crumpling down into like a bin bag of garbage um but that's not how that works we are the dominant species on the planet because we're extremely adaptable. We can thrive in radically varying conditions and we can handle significant amounts of stress. Like we are resilient. It used to be the case that resilience was a marker of fitness. And now every person that people look up to in the fitness space seems to talk continuously about all of the ways that they are broken. Like, oh, I've got I've got this issue and that issue and that issue and I have to, if I don't spend my 10 minutes doing breath work in the morning, then my stress through the day becomes unbearable. It's like, how unresilient are you as a person that without meditation, you fucking break? Like, how non-resilient are you as a person if you're going to tell me that if you sleep under seven hours, then you're completely useless? Like, there are single mothers out there with four kids who are sleeping five hours a night for years. They can handle it. How weak are you? Um... But it's just, yeah, it's it's this propagation of the idea that the average healthy person is weak and fragile and needs to do all of this stuff to stay on top of it. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's not the case. You will be fine. Like, you can eat a sugary food and undersleep and be hungover and you'll be okay. Just don't do it all the time. <laughs> I love that. It, it's, I, the way that, I want to end it with this and I'll let you end it after that. But the thing is, it's not optimal if you can't, if it doesn't allow you to handle it when life isn't optimal and life is chaotic. Optimal means you're able to do, like you're able to keep doing the thing, you're able to keep going when life is tumultuous. Because if you're optimal, means everything goes standstill when life is tumultuous, or if skipping this optimal thing makes everything break down, then it's not really optimal because we are humans. We are not lab rats and we're not robots. I'll let you end it now. Absolutely. So a big, a big underlying reason why I hate all of the, the wellness wankery, so the, the ice baths, the fasting, all of that, is not because those things aren't sometimes beneficial, because they sometimes are. Um, the problem is, I find the underlying reason why a lot of people do it and why a lot of people defend it. And this is where it comes into like the ideological side. So I'll just cover this very quickly, but I think it's important. So an idea that's extremely popular in the US and now because of social media in the English speaking world broadly, we've all heard the Ramstein song. We all live in America. They were right. <laughs> we all live in America now because American culture is what culture is broadly. There are small differences, but we, we all we absorb American culture through social media. And before that, before in, in 
traditional media like movies and whatnot. So American culture is grounded primarily in Protestantism and a specific branch of Protestantism. Um, and a big thing of Protestantism is the Protestant work ethic. It's individualism. It is um, everything you have is because of your work and you don't deserve anything that you didn't work for. That's the, the underlying ideology that can describe a lot of how Americans think and so how English speaking people who interact with Americans think all of the time. It's a fun, it's a it's a it's a grounding fundamental assumption within our political systems that underpins liberalism, etc. We don't need to go into that any further, other than to say a lot of us in the West have been indoctrinated to believe from a very young age that you get what you deserve. That's what we assume. And if you don't deserve something because you haven't worked for it, you shouldn't have it. And that is the way we think. Now, when it comes to health, therefore, it necessarily follows that if you have health, it is because you did virtuous things to earn that health. And if you want to demonstrate your virtue, you can do more virtuous things that promote health because health is a good thing to have. It's the queen and, of so, and so this is where, what was that? Sorry, I've not heard it's that. I don't queen. know. If no, it's the queen syndrome that you just said. Oh, virtuous probably, things yeah. more virtuous things. Yeah. Um, now, some people will say, no, that's not true. Um, I just care about these health promoting things because it promotes health. And I think that was demonstrated to be completely false within the discourse that existed around the, reg the drug that came out recently, semaglutide um, or liraglutide, various different araglutides. Um, which are these GLP-1 agonists, whereby if a person with obesity utilizes a GLP-1 agonist, it reduces their appetite significantly and helps them lose weight. Now, if the reason that people believed that everyone should exercise and eat well was because they thought it should promote health, they would support this drug because it helps to facilitate that. But they don't. People have a massive opposition to the people who would benefit from it using this drug because it feels as though they're therefore going to get weight loss that was unearned. And what this tells you is that in the minds of a lot of people, the earning of that weight loss and the earning of that health is more important than the health itself. It is the demonstration of virtue which gives you this result, which is the important thing because it's important to be virtuous, not to be healthy. Does that make sense? Does that kind of follow? Yeah, it does. And cool. it's, it's almost, see, to me, when it comes to those drugs, though, it's, it's more the fact that it's almost like birth control. People hmm. aren't aware of what it actually does because... It's, it's like, don't take friggin' semaglutide if you don't know what the reason for taking it is because all it's going to do is suppress your hunger. What happens when you get off it? You're going to gain all the weight back if you haven't learned how to have a lifestyle that supports that new level of you. But otherwise, all it's doing is helping you do those health-promoting things if hunger is the issue at bay. It's like you need to oh. know, yeah. Of course, and that's a completely valid concern. That is a that is a completely valid part of the conversation. Is that right? If you're going to use these drugs, it should be um, alongside proper medical supervision and alongside um, nutrition and exercise counselling, so that you can then continue these healthy habits after the weight loss. That's that's a really important part of the conversation. But people had more of just a no, you shouldn't use drugs. You should just do eat well, exercise, and so on, and that again tells us that it's about the virtue so here's the thing once you are in the mind space of you should do exercise and you should eat well 
because it's virtuous. You need to question why that is. And the reason that that's virtuous, just to go back to the Protestantism thing, is because you are denying yourself earthly pleasures. To exercise regularly is to deny yourself comfort. To eat well is to deny yourself enjoyable foods. And this is where a lot of the um, the biohacking comes in because this is kind of gendered in that a lot of like wellness discourse, think Goop, think Gwyneth Paltrow. A lot of that is uh, denying yourself tasty foods because they're toxic. It's denying yourself processed foods because of this and we're going to eat salads and organic foods and we're going to meditate and do all of these things that are hard and that are restricting our access to these enjoyable things because that is going to make us better. And then biohacking is just that, but for men. It's it's that. the same thing, it's the same thing, but instead of white and pastel colours, it's black and blue. But it's the same basic advice. We need to deny ourselves access to these earthly pleasures because to do so is virtuous. And where biohacking comes in is it's just the red queen version of that. It's like, right, we already eat well. We already exercise regularly. How can we make ourselves suffer more in this vein? Well, we can get in an ice bath. We can intermittent fast. We can run 10 miles a day every morning for breakfast to show how disciplined we are because the discipline itself is the virtue, not the benefit you get from it. And so what we always need to ask ourselves whenever we're faced with any of these things is, is there any evidence that this is going to benefit me? If there is evidence, is that evidence actually outcome based or are we talking mechanisms? Don't tell me that it's going to increase my dopamine by 200%. Tell me it's going to decrease my risk of depression or tell me it's going to increase my whatever. And then finally, are the people who are promoting this promoting this because it's a good idea that's going to improve my health? Or are they promoting it because they are relying on the assumption that it is hard and therefore it is good per se? Because usually that's what you're going to find. People don't know how good they can feel until they feel good. So they do, they inflict all this other crap on them without realizing that literally this whole conversation, tying it all up right now, is the fact that if you take a step back, drop your ego, drop your need for instant benefit, drop your need to get results yesterday, like, this, I, I get the impatience. I really do because I'm working really freaking hard right now and my butt isn't the size of a freaking Nicki Minaj peach right now, despite how freaking hard I'm working. And that's the same thing that you can put to anything because muscle growth takes time. Results take time. Things take time and it compounds over time and trying to throw more at it isn't going to make it go any faster. Like there's a rate of reaction. There's like a limiting rate. The limit actually does exist in this equation. We do not live in bloody mean girls land. Like there is a limit. And this is the very thing. Like, If you know how good you can feel from doing those bare basics, stripping it back and working on the foundations, it's almost, it's almost like, let's just chuck in the leg press, leg extensions, do some plyos, throw in all these things that we know make the biggest bang for the buck. But that like, what is the purpose behind throwing all the things that you think make the biggest bang for your buck? You're just going to keep hitting plateaus. You're going to lose any motivation long term because there is no sense of purpose. There's no clarity. There's no direction. It's just throwing everything at it to see what sticks to get the biggest outcome right now, which isn't really going to happen. It's like figure out your weakest link, build a really strong foundation and have something that drives progress in a way that is going to add to your life. Hey, it's functional because now you're squatting better. You're moving better. You have something to chase to feel better. 
which is where I am finally at right now in the fact that it's like, oh, I felt my glute, everything's focused around glutes. I'm sorry, I'm allowed to do that. But it's, oh, I really felt my glutes on the hack split. Oh, I really felt my glutes on the reverse lunge. Oh, I'm really feeling my hamstrings on this hamstring curl. Up the weight, I'm not feeling it right now. Drop the weight, uh, this feels much better. It's like when you chase things for knowing this actually feels good, I'm not just chasing things for load. I'm not just chasing things and realizing, hey, I'm actually making compensations because it's not working the muscle in. It's doing things because like Tom said, you're focusing on the benefits you get from it, not the discipline or the force or the number or the willpower or the, oh, I'm such ironclad. Like, zoom the fuck out. Yeah. And like, you're not going to be lying on your deathbed thinking, God, I wish I was called more. <laughs> um, like, it's just not going to happen. Like, even if there is a, even if there is a minor benefit to it, are you getting that benefit elsewhere? And does it just justify the effort? Or are you being sold this hyper-disciplined, hyper-virtuous image of someone? that it, It's a waste of time. When you, zo- when you zoom out for 10 seconds, it's like, all right, cool. I could be more disciplined by making myself ice bath every day. But is that going to make me a better husband? Is that going to make me better in the gym? Is that going to improve my longevity? Because unless you see evidence of that specifically, the assumption I would always give is it's going to be no. And to to your point about the exercise, that's where we just loop back to what we were saying earlier, where, yeah, if you're not feeling your glutes on a leg press, you could add in 85 different exercises or you could do the hard work and just get better at leg pressing um, rather than trying to avoid it and avoid the risk of failure by trying by just adding something else that might work. Yeah, I love that. And that's the perfect way to end this. It's don't be afraid to take a step backwards in order to actually start progressing for real this time. So with that, Tom Bank. I'm going to put it down below so you guys know how to spell it, but Tom Bainbridge Coaching on Instagram I'm probably going to end up spreading out clips from this over bloody two months worth because there is so much gold in this. Like you hear people being anti-biohackers. I think I'm going to be crowning. Yes, I'm crowning myself. I'm crowning myself and Tom, the anti-wankery people. Yes, like it. We we kind of blitzed quite a lot there and I really hope you benefited from it. And go follow Tom. Go friggin' just... Go through your following and see what people spit absolute bullshit and unfollow them because the more you are exposed to that shit, the more you're going to keep getting yourself complicated into a bloody noodle soup of just noodles. Mm. The The three questions I always advise you ask when looking at wellness stuff is what is the evidence? So, like, are they providing a study? Or if someone says research suggests or studies show... That doesn't mean anything. You'll notice earlier in the podcast when I was talking about ice baths, I gave you a citation. I told you the study I was talking about. That's what honest people do. If I say studies show this, I could like I could sit here and say, oh, studies show dogs have five legs. That's how easy that is to say. It means nothing. So what's the evidence? If it's studies show, that's the equivalent of nothing. If there's no evidence presented, um, Hitchens, Razor, that which is... Um, provided without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. Just ignore it. 
Um, if there is evidence, okay, what is the evidence? Is this in a relevant population? Are we looking at a rat study? If so, I don't give a shit. Right, okay, so we've got evidence and it's in humans, so what? Like, right, okay, uh, it increases dopamine, so what? It increases metabolism, so what? Is this is this going to lead to improved body composition? Is it going to lead to improved health? And you don't have to go searching for those answers. What you have to look for is, are those three answers in the post itself? The person should present the study, they should tell you what the study was in, and they should tell you the outcome, and it should be an outcome, not a mechanism. And if those three things are missing, just unfollow that person, they're a waste of time. All of that. So with that, thank you for coming on. I think I could just talk to you for ages because that was just so much, so much, so much fun. And I cannot wait to get this out. I hope you guys listen to this a couple of times. Take some notes, message us, share it and rate the podcast because there was so much fun and accents thrown around in here. So <laughs> no, thanks very much for having me on, Ruby. It was, uh, yeah, it was really good. Um, two-hour podcast is always a good one and thanks for listening everyone i hope there was some hope there was something useful in there please 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 if you enjoyed this episode please go onto your spotify onto your itunes and give it a five-star rating you don't have to leave a review but it will also make me really happy to just read through those but it just leaving a five-star review is more than enough so with that reach out to either of us if you have any questions. If you enjoyed this episode, share it to your stories, share it to a friend, whatever. Just help me spread the great, great news because something I absolutely hate when I listen to podcasts is freaking ads interrupting it all the time. And that's something you'll never listen to on this one. And you won't hear any promoting on this as well because all I want to do is bring you good information. With that, I hope you enjoyed it and I will hear you on the next part.